Hey, Dan Miller here. We're ready to go with this week's edition of 48 Dates of the Work You Love podcast. Listener says, I've got an MBA, but no J-O-B. I'm upset and confused. Well, you know, that's pretty common these days. And you have to believe it takes a whole lot more than an academic degree to have a guarantee of anything in today's workplace. It takes far more than a degree to prove your value. So we're going to unpack this listener question, and we got some other doozies as well. So grab your cup of tea, stick around, get ready for another Power Pack episode filled with practical advice, inspiring stories, and some resources that you can use to help maximize your opportunities. So we're going to jump right in after these messages from our supporting sponsors. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to respond to some questions. I love the questions that you all submit. And Based on our recent podcast survey that a whole lot of you took the time to fill out, we're so appreciative of that. We're going to continue with that format. I ask a lot of questions in there. Would you prefer that I have other guests on, interview people, you know, have some other kind of format, make it longer, make it shorter? Well, you guys gave me a whole lot of consistent feedback concerning continuing to answer listener questions, continuing to have it about the same length you know, 30 to 48 minutes. I used to always make sure it was exactly 48 minutes long. Not doing that anymore necessarily, but uh, somewhere in that range. But anyway, we're going to continue. Hey, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at in today's episode. Dan, I was arrested, then vindicated, and now want to write a book about not allowing evil to win. All right. So a juicy one right there. Next one's that most people would look at my life and business and think I'm ahead in many ways, but I usually feel like I'm about 90% behind most of the time. Is this normal? And then one says, I'm a 26-year-old woman with an MBA. I was valedictorian in my class, but now I have not been able to find a job in over three years. How can I get unstuck? All right, let's jump in. Got some other cool good news as well I want to share. Our quotation comes from Mark Twain, who said, I've never let my schooling interfere with my education. All right, now let that sink in. Okay. And our resource is our new event schedule for an event we're going to have. It's actually more than a year away. So you'll hear me mention it repeatedly, but leading up to November 2024, where we're going to have our event that we're titling, and so they built a life they loved. How do you do that? How do you build a life you love in multiple areas of your life? I'm so excited about what we're going to be doing there and people are going to have share in there. But if you go to 48days.com slash activate, you can actually see the details there right now and people are lining up for that. So we're excited about that. So again, thanks for your responses to our listener survey. I'll be integrating a lot of that content over the next few months as we go along for sure. Now, you know, we, we hear about a lot of stores closing. You know, there's a lot of, what was it just recently? I think Joanne took me to a Bed Bath & Beyond, I think is one that's closing all their stores, a lot of discounted things. 
And we just think, well, gee, all the physical stores are closing. Malls are closed. Stores are closed. Amazon's taking over the world. We're not going to see physical stores anymore. Well, guess what? That's not really true. About four years ago, Toys R Us. I mean, you, you know, a lot of us remember that when you were kids, you know, Toys R Us, the big store with all the toys. Well, they filed bankruptcy. And usually that's just the beginning to the end. It's just a formality legally before they just close everything down. Well, guess what? They're coming back. They're starting to add stores back in. They've got plans to open 25 stores this next year, physical stores. But now they're doing it differently. Instead of the big mega stores out in some area, they're doing it in some unique locations, including airports and cruise ships. Now, Joanne and I have been on a lot of cruises. You know, if you have been, think about that. You're on a cruise. Gee, the kids are restless. Wow, what a captive audience. Take the kids down and get them a few toys to entertain them. Yeah, on cruise ships. So they're being very, very strategic about opening new stores in places where they've never had a presence before to align themselves where there's built-in traffic or a captive audience in the case of cruises. And I just think it's interesting to see that they're, they're expanding. You know, another company that's expanding in physical stores dramatically is Tractor Supply Company. Now, again, on the surface, you would think, my goodness, there's fewer farmers today than there ever have been. I mean, at one point, about 79% of American workers worked in far on farms. Today, it's less than 2%. I mean, it's rare to find somebody who's a full-time farmer. That's not where Tractor Supply is focused. Tractor Supply was smart enough to realize that their real market was not the big big farmers that have a thousand acres and five hundred thousand dollar tractors no it's the rural farmers the people with five acres and a few chickens a few goats you know and they want a little kubota to mow their grass move things around i had a little john deere hydrostatic drive i loved that little tractor it's the very last thing that we sold when we moved from florida or moved from tennessee to florida the very last thing because i used it so much just a jewel well that's the market for tractor supply. So they're expanding big time. I mean, their profits were up last year pretty dramatically. Uh, sales rose. They had $4.2 billion in sales last year. Their gross profits rose. Gross profits were $1.5 billion. So what they're doing is they plan to open 80 new stores in 2024. And they expect to open about 90 new stores a year beginning in 2025. So they're really ramping up. Now, here's what's driving that. And this is where you, you just keep your eyes open to the changes and recognize new opportunities right along the way. And it doesn't have to be something new and revolutionary. Obviously, what I mentioned, Toys R Us and Tractor Supply aren't brand new ideas. Now, they're old ideas, but they're just adapting to the way things are changing in the culture. So what happened three years ago when a whole lot of people discovered they can work from home? There was mass exodus from big cities. Mass exodus. I mean, millions of people that left big cities realizing they can live outside of cities and still be working in their fine jobs that they have. So what they did is they're saying, wow, they can have lifestyle 
jobs where they can work but still live on that one to five acre property. I mean, that's what really a lot of people are looking for. About 56% of people say that's what they want, one to five acre property. 32% want just a large backyard of less than an acre. 12%, they want something more than five acres. But that's what they're doing. I mean, they, they, they want a few chickens and goats or maybe a horse for the kids. Well, think about the different kind of lifestyle as opposed to living in a, a fourth-story apartment with your family. That's what's attractive. And Tractor Supply has leaned into that arena. So they sell those beautiful little Kubotas and John Deere's rather than the great big tractors. I mean, those are still going to be sold, you know, by your John Deere dealer or whatever. But uh, Tractor Supply moved right into that space. I, I love that. I just love paying attention to those kind of things and recognizing that for all of us, if we recognize where the changes are going, we'll see new opportunities that align with that. I mean, when, um, oh, you know, you, I, you've heard me talk about, you know, Joanna and I get regular massages just as part of our health care, but the number of massage therapists has increased dramatically over the last few years. Why? Because more and more people are sitting at a computer looking at a screen all day. Gee, what happens to your neck and back and shoulder muscles when you just are sitting there all day? Well, you kind of feel the tension. You haven't me just talk about it probably. So it's not a matter of, gee, all the opportunities are in computer sciences or being a computer geek. You know, sure, there's a lot of opportunities there. But look at the things that have been created around that, like massage therapy has exploded because there's so many people sitting at computers. So sometimes your opportunity is just, just off center a little bit. It's like I got that old story about, you know, when they discovered gold in California, you know, years and years ago, the first millionaire created by the gold rush, wasn't even looking for gold. He was a young guy who was selling picks and shovels and blue jeans to the miners. He was selling supplies to the miners. He was the first millionaire, not the poor guys looking for gold. Well, make sure you're not overlooking your opportunity. Where might it be? Right in front of you, but just a little left of where everybody else is looking. Okay, so I got to know from Paul, I'm going to give you not a lot of details here, but just kind of the overview of his situation. He says, Dan, I wrote to you last year in May, I'm dean of students at a private school. I was arrested, placed on administrative leave, and that goes into a long kind of, long kind of details of what happened. Ultimately, it was vindicated. Now, he says, you suggested I venture out and do some things of my own. Thank you for that. Um my full attention, however, was turned to avoid in jail. You mentioned I would need to venture out on my own, even if this didn't happen due to the low salaries paid to educators. I make significantly more money than you mentioned on the podcast. I'm close to six figures. I enjoy the work and the relationships I've built with students and faculty. However, my arrest and trial caused me to rethink how I want to spend the, the next 20 years of my working life. I'm 58 years old and do not see full-time retirement as something that appeals to me, so I'm eager for something else on my own. I was arrested, again, back in February of 2022. I was not indicted until 257 days later. Didn't go to trial until after 425 days had passed. Wow, think about the emotional drain in that period of time where you'd been arrested, but didn't go to a trial for over a year, year and a half. Took 10 days of a trial before I was finally vindicated. 
Dan, this experience has shaken me to my core, caused me to rethink everything in my life, some good and some not so good, but I was able to find purpose during those 425 days. I knew early on that I would need a routine and a purpose, in my case, projects to see me through. I'm working on a book detailing how I remain sane during those 425 days. I woke at the same time each day, developed a schedule that included working out, reading, taking care of household chores, doing those projects I mentioned. I'm thankful we purchased some land in the country earlier. I took 14 trips, built a barn on our 1.5 acres. I read 62 books, learned to cook some pretty cool things. I built decks, created gardens, became a goat and chicken farmer, somehow managed not to turn my ire on God, but to draw strength from him. So here's Paul's question. Do you think a book, a podcast, some speaking, coaching, or whatever else I could think of would be a viable option? I've learned so much in such a difficult time that it seems a shame to waste it and allow evil to win. One last thing, and this is interesting. Paul says, I'd like to work for another year at my current job. They paid all my legal fees and salary and and reassigned me to another year's contract without even knowing my ultimate fate. I feel obligated to repay their loyalty. Thanks again, Dan. You are literally a godsend in my life. Any direction you could give me would be appreciated. All right. You get a lot of meat in here, Paul. My goodness. When you, when you talk about all the things that you did there, absolutely. You could write a book, have a, have a podcast, coach, change teaching positions, a whole lot of applications. You can move on from there. And at 58 years old, you got plenty of time to, to realign, move into something else. I was listening. Well, I got a I got a brand new book. It's just just came out this week. It's it's titled Mind Shift. It doesn't take a genius to think like one. It's by Erwin McManus, and it's really phenomenal about just how we can change our thinking. And what you've described here is a great example of that. Now, here's what you want to do if you think about things like um, well, like Dave Ramsey's book, Financial Peace. You know, he went through a big financial crash at 26 years old, and then wrote the principles about what happened to him. Now, here's the deal, though. You want to write a book that not only tells your tale, but also gives advice for somebody else to take action on. I mean, that's what you look for. You look for, that's what publishers look for. Publishers want nonfiction books that provide both descriptive and prescriptive. Now, the mistake that a lot of people in your situation make is they just share all the gory details of what they went through. That kind of a book is not going to have a lot of legs out there in the marketplace. Go very briefly on those things. I mean, even like what I did with 48 Days to the Work You Love, coming after a big business crash that I had. You know, I talked about briefly what happened to me, but I also shared other people's stories. But ultimately, what I shared is how to walk out of that how to really get clear on what your purpose, calling, mission is, and then how to turn that into meaningful, profitable work on Monday morning. That's why that book took off like it did. I mean, you've developed a fortitude to endure that unfair experience without bitterness, without allowing it to destroy your life. That's what people want to hear. That's what people want to hear about. So what can the reader do to be inspired and take action in their own lives when confronted with a challenge similar to yours. Again, too many people, you know, just write a book to vent their 
unfairness of the situation. Don't do that. Give people hope and a plan. And when you describe, I'm thankful we purchased some land in the country. I took 14 trips, built a barn on our 1.5 acres, read 62 books, learned to cook some pretty cool things. I built decks, created gardens, became a goat and chicken farmer, and somehow managed not to turn my anger on God, but draw strength of him. Wow, that's the synopsis right there. That's what I want to hear about. I want to hear about how you did that, how you developed a daily structure that kept you from going mad and getting angry and dissolving into bitterness. So do I think that a book, a podcast, or some speaking, coaching, or whatever would be a viable option? Absolutely. I think you've got a whole plethora of things you could move into there. You know, there are Golly, there are podcasts out there just on frivolous lawsuits. I don't think you ought to spend your time there. I think you can come up with a much better better title than that. But, you know, when, when I think through the kind of things you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about having resiliency in the face of adversity. You know, highlight that, how important it is to have resiliency in that long period of time that you were going through that tough situation. How to turn challenges into opportunities. How to redirect your, your anger, instead of just going inward, gee, you built a deck, you know, read 62 books, took trips. Talk about that. How to, how to be involved in continuous learning. I mean, I love even the part where you talk about connecting with nature as a way to redirect some of the anger you had. You were involved in an academic institution, which can really be kind of internal, kind of living in your headspace. No, you got out there, you know, got a hold of a hammer and saw. I mean, that's a great balance, and you can talk about that. Certainly, you can talk about how you nurtured your spiritual strength and faith, how you had to walk through forgiveness and letting go, you know, how you connected with family. You mentioned that, reached out to people around you for support. You can encourage readers to seek support from friends and family and how to tap into a community that shares their values and beliefs. Now, clearly you had people on your side, even in the academic community who were not pointing fingers at you. And I did go back and I actually looked at the details of your situation, how unfortunate, just heartbreaking. But those things do happen. We're in such a litigious society that those things can happen, unfortunately. But you can talk about mindfulness and self-care. Talk about the importance of having gratitude and positivity. You know, that practice of gratitude, maintaining a positive outlook, even in challenging circumstances, that's what inspires people. That's what will make a book sell or your message sell, how to set and achieve goals. So there's all those things that you can do in there, absolutely, that will help you build toward what you want. That'll, that'll, I mean, talk about making lemonade out of lemons. I mean, you had a great story to do that. But I want to hear about making lemonade. I want to hear about 10% about the lemons. And then I want to hear about 90% about how you made lemonade out of that. That's where I want to go. All right. Hey, great question. I love leaning into that. We got a couple more great questions coming up here. But uh, just uh, interlude to remind you that these are real life questions. I honor your questions coming in. If you got a question or a piece of resource that you want to share with other people or a summary of your own success just go ahead and shoot that in go to 48days.com slash ask dan 
and leave it there. And of course, if I use your story like I'm using here, I love to send out those autographed copies of books to you to reward you for that. So again, just go to 48days.com slash askdan. So here's a quick message from our sponsors, then I'll be back with a couple more of those stories. All right, so I got a question here from Nathan. Nathan's a a young long-term listener, very involved in our 48 Days community. He says, Dan, I recently heard someone say that high achievers or people with a strong go-getter personality feel like they're behind about 90% of the time. I think most people would look at my life and business and think I'm ahead in many ways, but I usually tend to feel behind like I'm trying to catch up to my own aspirations and expectations, which are always very high. It's encouraging to me that this could be a normal trait within my peer group. What do you think about this? Well, why is it that that high achievers, I mean, I love the setup, Nathan, here. Why is it that high achievers or people with that go-getter personality feel like they're behind about 80% of the time? You know, even with indications that they're doing very well, they still feel like, ah, I'm not doing enough. Wow. I mean, I, I certainly identify with that. I think that's a healthy kind of motivation. Now, it can be prompted by maybe unhealthy or immature factors as well. But I, I, for the most part, I think that's okay. I mean, I, I, would, I don't want to get to the point where I'm just complacent, where I think, okay, I've done all I need to do. You know, this is cool. Wow, that doesn't attract me at all. If you are a go-getter, if you are an entrepreneur, you're always going to feel like there's more to do than what you can possibly get accomplished. Now, some of that, okay, so let me go through a couple factors here. I mean, some of that can be due to perfectionism. I mean, high achievers, you know, we usually set really high standards for ourselves. And if we're always feeling like, gee, we aren't just, we just aren't perfect enough, you know, it can become a very self-critical even to the point of low confidence kind of thing, if we're not careful. So you don't want to go there. Just recognize it for what it is. Now, another thing is that we can get caught up in comparisons. Gee, if you're 42 years old and you see somebody else 42 that already has, you know, $8 million in their net worth and think, wow, I'm really behind. Well, be careful about that. Comparison isn't healthy. You want to identify what's important to you. Now, that may be very different than what the dude down the street is doing or, or what three of the guys that you graduated from college with are doing today. So don't get caught up in comparison. You don't want to just measure your success or where you ought to be based on what other people are doing. Make sure that it's very individualized, that it is you. Now, to have that kind of ambition is, I think, a healthy kind of thing. Uh, not to just, again, be discontent, but there's a, there's a, a difference between uh, complacency and being discontent. Complacency can be, you know, ah, whatever, you know, whatever happens, that's okay. No, I, I never want to go there. Now, that, so a healthy discontent means, yeah, you believe there's more. There's more that you want to do. Now, I want to be, I want to wake up the day I die. I want to wake up with that sense. There's more that I want to do than what I've done. I mean, we see how when people retire, meaning they really have told themselves, gee, I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to do anything. We see how quickly they deteriorate, how they decline, how their bodies deteriorate. It's scary. You need a purpose 
to get up in the morning. And having a strong purpose is a healthy kind of thing. So that kind of ambition and drive that you have as an entrepreneur, man, I am totally in with that. Now that you can have, I mean, it can come again from fear of failure um, or insecurity or getting low self-confidence. Those Just recognize those as what they are, though, and realize those are not the things you want driving you forward. Yeah, we do. We, we can look for, I mean, you, you are very future-oriented, which I think is a very healthy kind of thing. You know, being very clear about where do you want to be three years from now? What do you want your life to look like three years from now? And what do you need to do to make deposits in the kind of life you want to be living three years from now? That's a healthy thing. I don't want you to ever quit that. I don't want you ever to ever get to the place where you're just content and you just kind of settle in. All right, I've done it. Now that's all there is. So yeah, I think it's I think it's common, but I think it's I think if you're wired the way you are, it's not only common when you're in your early 40s, you're going to experience that in your mid-50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I think that's okay. Uh, just stay in the game, my friend. And uh, any of the rest of you listening to identify with that, don't beat yourself up over feeling like you're behind. It's just uh, part part of the game when we're uh, active go-getters as you are, Nathan. Thanks for the question. All right, got this one. Damn, name is Alina here, and that's okay. Um, She says, I'm a 26-year-old woman living in Dallas. Having escaped from the Ukraine when the war started in 2014, I put all my eggs into one basket, moved here to get an American MBA. I did extremely well in my studies and was the valedictorian of my class. But now it's been three years since my graduation, and I still haven't found a job. I've exhausted all my savings. Moving back to Ukraine is not an option, but now I've put myself in a corner. I'm feeling stuck. I really don't know what I should do. I just want some advice to get myself unstuck. Wow, what a a great question. Thank you for sharing that, for sharing your vulnerability and kind of where you are. And I think we can walk right out of this, Alina. It sounds like you've, you know, had a tough last few years for sure. You worked hard, followed what you assumed would be a road to success, you know, what the world tells us, hey, just get that degree, do everything you can, get the degree, and then everything's going to be roses after that. So it's not surprising that you're disappointed. Unfortunately, even an MBA does not have the prestige that it once did. I mean, most companies really aren't even sure what an MBA does, what, you know, what having one means. I mean, it means a little bit of business, a little marketing, a little sales, a little technology, but it's hard to really identify. Now, some of you are going to scream hearing me frame it in this way. But, you know, a company may be more likely to choose somebody for a position who took an eight-week class in a very specific skill area. I mean, that's how fast things are changing. And an MBA is very generic. Now, again, I don't want to just totally throw that out, throw the baby out with the bath, but I want you to be clear don't think that that's a magic ticket that's going to open doors for you. Now, you you clearly recognize you need to do something different from what you've been doing. And just being a good student just simply means that you're a good student. It means you're good at hearing what is being said from the front of the room, digesting what's in the textbook, and feeding that back. But companies are realizing they aren't sure that really means you're going to be a productive employee. They want people who can think, who are innovative and creative. 
that doesn't necessarily go along with just being a good student. A lot of people are good students, but don't have those other skills that I just mentioned. So, you know, you, you said you've exhausted your savings. So I'm curious what you've been doing in this three years, though. You didn't really give a lot of other details there. Have you really been inactive? I mean, I, I hope not. You know, what, what have you been doing with your time? And, and what have you been doing with the other parts of your life? Now, if you moved to a new country, did you only focus on your schooling where you obviously excelled? Or did you also put effort into making friends? I mean, keeping yourself in shape, developing hobbies, reading personal development books. I mean, you dramatically increase your chances of success in any one area of your life if you are growing in all areas. See, no no companies hires just a brain. They, They hire a whole person. I mean, we're told that hiring decisions are made in the first 10 seconds of an interview. The person doing the interview is asking themselves, do I like this person? Are they fun to be around? Would they fit in here as part of the team? So if you've made friends, you can reach out to them for referrals and recommendation. I mean, they may recommend you to the companies they're working for. That's the number one recruiting tool that companies have is having people who already work for them refer other people that they say would be great for their company. They can give you suggestions for interviewing and point out things that may be holding you back. Now, if you really haven't had a job in three years, you've really hurt your position for where you are right now. It's a lot easier to get a job while you have a job than to be totally out of a job for multiple reasons. For one thing, you know, if you, if somebody looks at your background or interviews you and realizes you've been doing nothing for three years, that's going to be a real red flag. If you're working, even at something that is unrelated or a lesser job, it's still is more positive and an easier transition point for you. So I'm wondering, you know, did you pass, pass on other jobs just because they weren't the perfect job? Now, I also know how our minds can build on negative thinking. Yeah, I heard someone one time who left for the day by saying, well, I'm going to go see who won't hire me today. I guess what that person's chances were of getting offered a job. I'm, I'm going to go see who won't hire me today. Are you kidding me? You get to watch the mind games that can be played if you aren't careful with your negative thinking. And a lot of times that negative thinking is very transparent. Your desperation, your disappointment, your frustration, your confusion will show. You got to be prepared for an interview. Now, here's the deal. A lot of companies, I mean, most any company right now is begging for employees. I mean, go out and just walk down any street in Dallas, walk in the front door of 20 businesses, let them know you're ready to go to work. Now, don't wait for that job that requires an MBA. I mean, that can come later. I mean, one of the best ways of growing is by being regularly promoted by employers who realize that your capabilities and willingness to take responsibility far outweigh your current position. So your next opportunity may not look exactly like what you were expecting. That's okay. See this as the beginning of the next three years in your life. But if you get a job and serve well there, you will be recognized, possibly promoted, and will most certainly meet other people who can open the doors to new opportunities. You know, I ran into a guy one time who was a friend of mine, and he was a, a very successful Christian musician. I mean, if I mentioned some of his songs, you'd recognize them. 
I was at Home Depot, rounded a corner, and here was this guy wearing an orange apron. I said, what is going on? Are you playing a joke on somebody? He says, man, I work here. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, things have really slowed down. I got a family. Instead of just being disappointed, I'm here. And I said, oh my gosh, I love that. I love the fact that you are a well-known musician and you took a job at Home Depot rather than just diminishing and being disappointed day after day. Way to rock. I mean, recognize that any job is not just a job. It's a way to open doors for you. But I also would encourage you that if you have a unique service, what would that be? What could you offer to companies that don't require you to have a job there? I mean, I've got a young computer genius that I use frequently. Now, I don't want him as an employee. I can't use him 40 hours a week, but I I use him freely at $150 an hour. What's a specific area of knowledge you have that could be framed in that way? You might be able to have a specific skill where you could help a company five hours a week and you have four companies like that, that you're doing that and you make more money than you could possibly make in a full-time job. I mean, open up the scope of what it is you're looking for to engage your unique abilities in the marketplace. Lots of possibilities my goodness, stay positive. I mean, you've got all the academic qualifications you need. Trust me, work more on your personal skills and watch how people want to have you around. Hey, keep me posted. This is a really, really interesting question and one that, I'm, that I know um, intrigues a lot of you to be in this position, an MBA, an OJOB. Well, thanks for writing in. I'll shoot you a note to follow up on this as well with some encouragement in the autograph book, but keep me posted. Give me a three-month update on this. I'd love to hear what's going on with you, how this unfolds, and to hear about your success story. Well, thanks for listening to all of you. Thanks for sending in your questions. It's exciting times. We're now in the last quarter of the year already. Boy, this year's flying by. I was thinking back, I was talking with some friends this week about remembering back to the year 2000 when the clock was going to turn over and we were all going to be obsolete because everything was going to be thrown wacky because of the computers not being able to handle rolling into 2000 while there were books about what all the disasters were going to happen. Well, that came and went. We all survived it. COVID came and pretty well went. We all survived that. Here we are, new opportunities. The world looks different. It's just different. Doesn't mean it's worse, just different. I know you're thinking about your possibilities. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for being a powerful force for making the world a better place. Hey, thanks for sharing this episode. A lot of you are doing that. Our numbers are growing. We're hearing from people in new areas and new listeners. I thank you for that. Appreciate that. Become known for your positivity. For somebody who does see these new opportunities and other people don't. Be the kind of person that can have a three-minute conversation in a grocery store and really blow somebody's mind with new possibilities. We had some friends over from some friends of one of our grandsons over there the night had delightful conversations. They had so many questions about new opportunities, and we were able to really have fun just helping them see opportunities where other people in their positions are kind of stuck. So be that kind of person and stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week. 